DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by the 2003 Masters champion, Mike Weir, a BYU Cougar. Mike, good morning. Morning, guys. DJ, how are you? Good. Okay. Just looked it up. We were just talking about, you know, who put the – got to remember, who put that green jacket on Mike Weir's shoulders? And whose shoulders did he put it on? It. You won it the year after Tiger. Tiger had actually won back-to-back. And the year before Phil. That's some pretty good right. company right there, Mike. Those were – man, those were the <laughs> days, huh? Yeah, that was nice to uh, have Tiger put the jacket on me. We had a, you know, before you before you do that ceremony, you're kind of in the the backstage while the, while Jim Nance and they're getting ready to uh, to do that that TV announcement. And uh, yeah, Tiger and I had a couple of good laughs, and I was able to give him the needle a little bit. But I was finally able to kick his butt once. <laughs> so <laughs> doesn't obviously happen very this, often. <laughs> no, obviously not. And you know, he's the defending champ. Uh, how much you miss not being back there this time of year because you've been doing this for years, and I guess maybe you get it in November, but it seems like now's the time you're supposed to go. Yeah, DK, it's it's a strange feeling, you know. All, uh, as everybody knows, it's a, everything's a little bit strange right now. But um, you know, yeah, this is kind of and growing up in Canada, this was kind of the kickoff to our season. You know, as when I was a junior golfer, you know, watching the Masters on TV, it was kind of the start of the season up there, and. Um, as it kind of is here, you know, it's the, the, really the start of the season and everybody t- gets excited around Masters time uh, this time. So that's yeah, a strange feeling not to be going back and um, just kind of watching highlights and stuff as people kind of through social media kind of, you know, kind of reminisce over certain years and certain events and um, Masters events. So, yeah, it's just strange not to be there. So I'm curious, since uh, PK mentions November, have, have you ever been back to Augusta in November? What does the course look like then? I've got this picture in my mind, but I don't know if it's going to match up. Yeah, you know, strangely enough, I've never been back in the fall. You know, um, I usually kind of go to prep for the tournament, you know, in, in late February and March. I'll, I'll try to make a trip there when I'm, I'm playing an event in Florida or something. I'll I'll make a trip up there for a couple of days to play to kind of get used to the course, but I've never been in the fall, but, you know, Augusta National, you know, they have all this, this sub-air system under the greens and some of the fairways, and um, I, you know, I I assume that, you know, with being a hot summer, you know, I was being in the south, hot summer, but they can, they can kind of control the temperatures of the conditions on the greens, and I think, I think they'll probably, you'll see it kind of play firm, I, I think, unless it's a really rainy, you know, time of year in November. But um, I think that time of year, outside of the azaleas not being out, I think the course will still be great. And, and I expect it probably be maybe a little bit firmer than, um, than April. So what are golfers doing now to keep some form of uh, conditioning and also their skills up to date? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things you can do indoors. Um, you know, you can you can. You know, luckily enough, I've got a little indoor simulator here. I can practice indoors. But you know, there's a lot of things you can do as amateurs. You know, you can put a club across your chest and do some pivot drills. Um, you can do some putting inside. Um, you can, you know, it's it's really good to you know make some practice swings indoors, nice and slow. Look out for uh, any light fixtures above. I've I've done that before in college. Actually, hit a hit a light right above and smash the light swinging in my in my college apartment but um outside of that you can you know make some nice nice swings inside and just kind of keep loose and 
Um, luckily, you know, we're able to, you know, in our state, we're able to play golf right now. I um, was able to break away last night and just play nine holes by myself. I, I went out to uh, Hidden Valley with about seven clubs in my bag and just kind of a little walk around and, and played. And um, so, you know, it's uh, it's tough times. You know, everybody's uh, itching to get out there, especially this week when we see the weather starting to get a little better this week. So that's tough. Mike Ware, Masters champ. Uh, so we got the news that the, uh, you know, rescheduling the majors here. And, of course, everybody wants it to happen. Of course, everybody also <laughs> wants to be safe. So you got to kind of mm-hmm. juggle those two things. What do you think are the biggest, as a player, what would kind of put your mind at ease? Like, these are the biggest hurdles, and they answer these questions the right way. Then I'm going to feel pretty good about playing. What, what would you have to hear before you'd feel good about playing? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I guess it'd be, you know, that obviously that the virus is way on the decline, that uh, the airlines are declaring everything safe, you know, to travel, hotels, things like that. I think once you get outside, get on the golf course, you and your caddy, you could do lots of social distancing, um, whether there's going to be fans at the events when we when we first get back. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I guess the fans would have to, you know, assess that situation that they, you know, I, I think they can still... At most events outside of the majors, you know, you, the majors has have have huge crowds. Some of the other PGA Tour events don't, so you can really kind of spread out as a fan. So golf is unique a little bit that way. There's there's so much room to kind of maneuver. Um, I think it'd just be the travel aspect, you know, just feeling safe to get on a plane and, and staying in a hotel, um, and then you know, I guess going out to a restaurant when you're when you're out at uh, when you're out at an event. Now, when I talked to you in the fall, you were talking about getting serious about the senior tour because I think next month you hit the big five zero. Uh, mm-hmm. How is that going? What have, what have you heard about that? Yeah, we uh, we just heard yesterday uh, they they canceled the uh, uh, U.S. Senior Open. You know, they postponed the regular Open at Wingfoot and moved that to September. But the uh, the Senior Open that was going to be played in Rhode Island, uh, they they canceled that. Um, they've moved a few things around. We haven't heard a lot of more cancellations. I think most of May is all is done um, on the, on the schedule, but um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a shortened schedule uh, on the champions tour. When I, when I get out there, whenever we get out there. And um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to stay as, as, as ready as I can without kind of overdoing it because it's still obviously could be, could be three or four months, could be two months. We, no one really knows. So I'm, I'm trying to stay somewhat sharp and uh, um, yet at the same time just kind of um, take care of things around here as well. So I don't know how much time you spent in front of the Golf Channel. There's a lot of master stuff running on TV, Golf Channel, ESPN, CBS this week. I think there's 18 to 20, something like that, different tournaments they're going to flashback, either edited versions or the final round. It's going to be a little different. I was watching some of the stuff because Monday was like Arnold Palmer Day, basically, on, on the Golf Channel. And I got to oh, admit, cool. at first, and it, it took a minute to adjust, but at first I'm kind of like, well, what am I looking at here? And then I'm like, oh, okay, I know what shot that is. You know, you get used to certain holes, certain camera shots, and recognizing mm-hmm. 16, 18, like, the, the trees were a different height, you know. I mean, the course, you know, they had they had Palmer walking off the green at one point, and then they have him 
as a you know sixty or seventy year old walking by, I'm like, okay, yeah, the trees did get a lot bigger. It took a minute to adjust. Have you uh, spent any time watching some of that old stuff? Um, in years past, I haven't had a chance to uh, lately. But you know, in years past, I've seen a lot of footage, and you know, there's there's still stories going around. Um, you know, in the champions' locker room, the, the story of Sam Snead telling Jack Nicholas on the 13th hole, he's like, you know, Jack, I used to take it right over the trees on the left side and and carry the corner and carry Ray's Creek and hit it way down there. And Jack apparently tried it and, and clanked it off the trees and went down. And he's like, well, Jack, you know, when I hit it over there, the trees are about half that height. You know, so yeah, the, the trees do grow over the years, and they and they they strategically place trees. At Augusta, I was playing a practice round with Jose Maria Olafalbo um, one year, and on the 18th hole, the, the second time he won, he had hit it in the left trees on 18, and he had a nice little gap, and he punched some sort of four or five iron up, and it ran up onto the front of the green. He two-putted to win, and I was playing with him. I said, Jose, show me that shot you hit. So we walked over there, and I was looking. I was like, and he's like, I was right here, and I said, you don't have a shot. There's trees right here. And he's like, well, they placed those after I hit the shot. From the year before, so I guess it does things like that. They see certain things happen, and they strategically they'll place a tree here. They'll they'll just make subtle adjustments, and um, that's you know one some of the, the fun things they they're able to do and adjust. And that's I guess a special thing about Augusta being there every year is that you, you as you said, DJ, you get to see certain shots. You remember certain shots at certain holes. Obviously, Nicholas on his great 86 win, you know, that whole back nine is just so, for me, so memorable. Every shot he hit there, so it's pretty cool to remember those things, and I'm sure they'll be showing a lot of that this week. So not being able to be back there this week when that's usually so much a part of your life this time of year, what do you miss the most? I think, uh, I think you know, mostly my family and friends that come in. We, we rent a house, and everybody gets together, my head pro from when I was a junior golfer comes and cooks for everybody all week. And we have anywhere from 15 to 30 people for dinner every night. Um, you know, the champions dinner, that that's, you know, obviously something very special that, uh, you, know, you look forward to, to, you know, obviously Tiger would have is hosting the dinner this year. And we'll have to wait till November to see what he's uh, serving up for dinner. So that's always a great anticipation to see what uh, the guy who won the year before is serving and he get a, chance to catch up with uh, you know, the legends of the game. You know, I get to see Tom Watson and, and Ray Floyd and um, Bob Goldie and, um, you know, and, and catch up with these guys and, and talk to them and see how they're doing. And, you, you know, they're bringing their grandsons in and you get to meet family. And so that's, that's one of the little hidden treasures that people don't know a lot about is that camaraderie amongst the, um, the champions there that uh, is really – I'll miss that this week for sure. You know, when you talk about the travel and it being safe, I think people are curious about how they travel. I, I read uh, uh, the book, uh, Billy Casper's book, and then how they drove to mm-hmm. tournaments back in the day. And a lot of guys, mm-hmm. private jets, you seem to be talking commercial air. Uh, yeah. Would you drive across country if that were the only way to make it to the Masters? Because I'm pretty sure I would. Oh, I would. I would in a heartbeat. I mean, early in my career, my first – uh, eight, nine years of my career, I lived out of my car. I drove everywhere. I had a clothes rack in the back of my car, all my clothes and my clubs, everything was, everything's in there. My life was in my car. Um, I traveled across this country, across Canada, you know, and, uh, so yeah, I, I, I've driven plenty of 
24 plus hour drive straight to get to an event to get to the next event and um so yeah i'm I'm, it's been a long time since i've had to do that but i would do that in a heartbeat so we see that the majors in the u.s they've rescheduled and hopefully that they can come to pass and be played on those dates but the british canceled it did that surprise you it did uh pk yeah i was surprised um being so far out um I didn't. I haven't really read up on the rationale behind it. I know there's a lot of logistics to it, and you know, you can go through the list of everything that that it takes to run a big tournament like that. But it seems odd that uh, they wouldn't, you know, that they wouldn't wait a little bit. That's you know, what are we four months out for that? Um, so uh, yeah, I was definitely a bit uh, a bit surprised that they they made the call so early. Um, they must they must know something that maybe we don't over uh, over there. Um, but, but I was surprised. Mike Weir, Masters champ, joining us here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. So in addition, I've heard that in addition to being a golfer, you are you are generally a sports fan. So yep. what are you missing as a sports fan the most? Is there an event, a sport, a game, anything that you're like, boy? That one thing. I hope they can rescue that one thing. Oh, man, so much. I'm a huge sports fan. Um, obviously, the Jazz. Um, I'm a big hockey fan. So, you know, we're, get, we're getting into the crunch time of playoffs right now. I mean, um, the year I won the Masters, um, I think I think um, Anaheim Mighty Ducks were in the final, and a good buddy of mine, Adam Oates, was, was playing for the Ducks, and they had just made it to the finals. Um, so I know this time of year, so, you know, you, you're probably through a couple of rounds of the playoffs already and kind of getting down to the you know, final four teams. So that's always exciting because playoff hockey is so intense and so fun to watch. So that's probably what I miss the most right now. I don't know how much you want to talk about it, Mike, but I understand you've got a pretty intense family issue going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a tough week. Um, you know, uh, my girlfriend's daughter, Brielle, um, had a terrible uh, skateboarding accident, uh, oh, nine days ago now. And uh, But we've, we've gotten some good news in the last, uh, you know, 12 to 18 hours. Her, her numbers on her uh, brain um, are starting to come down, which which means that hopefully if that trend continues, we'll, we'll be able to wake her out of this uh, induced state that she's in to, uh, to get her back to us and get her back uh Feeling and getting getting back to you know rehab and, and seeing whatever whatever complications we do, we just don't know the extent of the injury because uh, of the state she's in right now and just trying to keep her um, her brain healing um, in that state so we're seeing some good signs so we're, we're really hopeful today that that progresses and then um, then we'll we'll take the next steps from there so. We've had a tremendous amount of support from the community and uh, primary children. I I just have such a near, and I know they're a great hospital, but uh, near respect for what they do up there and the nurses and doctors and what they're dealing with with the virus, yet they still have other cases like Brielle um, and kids um, that that need their help, and, man, they're they're champions. The, The work they do is amazing. Well, Mike, best of luck there with Brielle and to, uh, to everybody who knows her. Good luck with that. Thank you. Mike, we're Masters champ, taking a few minutes to join us here this morning. Mike, we appreciate it and hope, uh, hope you get a chance to get back there in November. 
Yeah, yeah. So it'll be uh, it'll be great. It'll be a little bit odd to be there in the fall, but um, you know, anytime you get to go to Augusta, it'll be is is amazing. So we'll we'll look forward to that, and hopefully, we all get through this together, and we'll get uh, PK and I will get you on the course here pretty soon, DJ. <laughs> you know, do, do some of those air swings and inside, get your game ready, and we'll uh, we're gonna get out on the course soon. Sweet. <laughs> PK. PK. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's getting, news I've had in a long time. He's getting better. Well, yeah, but you should have seen where he started from. All right. All right, Mike, we appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, no problem, guys. Good All right. There it is. Mike Weir, Masters champ, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Three iron all that's, day long, PK. It's the only thing I got any confidence in. That, that, that's got to happen, man. <laughs> When I played with Mike last fall, that was so fun. Oh, My man. gosh. It was just the only thing I wish is that I wish I could have picked up the phone and told my father afterward because he and I, we played many rounds of golf. He's gone now, obviously. And and to be able to play and stand on a tee with a Masters champion, for me, it was it was a dream. It really was. And I know he's Mike Weir and he's everyday guy, and uh, but okay, fine. But he's still a Masters champion, and that is something that I had the opportunity. Yeah, uh, and I'll never forget the round. I hope I'd have a couple more. And to, I wouldn't be as nervous, but the fun thing would be watch you, who would be twice as nervous no. as, as oh, my God. level of nervousness. Mm. <laughs> going to dribble something up by the red tees. You just know what's going to happen. Popped up left side in field fly rule, people. So we played 18 holes, obviously, and I triple bogeyed the first hole because I, I, you know what was running down my leg. But then the, <laughs> the other 17, and we played from the Blues, and so did Mike. Uh, the other 17, I either had a bogey or a par. No birds, but a bogey or par. Yeah, so. but no doubles. No, no. The other, no, the other right. seven. I had, I, I had no doubles the whole day. I had the one triple on, on first holes of par five, and I just, gosh, I was so nervous. And, um, but then I settled down, and I had uh, either a par or bogey. So, I, I mean, that's, I was okay. I didn't, I didn't embarrass myself except for the first hole, but it was just amazing to watch him play and just to just to see his his approach to the game and the way he played and plus it was fun because he is a regular dude and he told a couple of stories that had me laughing and you know a couple of them were colorful and uh, uh, behind the scenes a little bit and I enjoyed that and and so if he and if if he invites us out, you talk about driving. I'd swim. If he invited me to play in Hawaii, I'd swim there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5-1280 The zone and the Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck interviewing for the Chicago Bulls Executive Vice President for Basketball Operations job, according to reports. Also, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said Monday night that he's told people in the NBA there will be no way for the league to make a decision about when it can return until May 1st at the earliest. 
Utah sophomore guard Booth Gotch will declare for the 2020 NBA draft, according to reports, but will maintain his college eligibility while testing the waters for feedback from NBA teams. And the NFL draft will be conducted in a virtual format with team personnel working from their homes. Team facilities remain closed indefinitely. Major League Baseball and its players are increasingly focused on a plan that would allow them to start the season as early as May. The plan reportedly has the support of high-ranking federal public health officials who believe the league can safely operate amid the coronavirus pandemic. The plan dictates that all 30 teams play uh, games at stadiums with no fans in the greater Phoenix area, including the Diamondbacks Chase Field and 10 spring training facilities. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Zero Res. Right now, there's nothing more important than clean, and that's why Zero Res is reducing their rates to help as many people as they can. Schedule with Zero Res right now for just $25 per room. Minimums do apply. Call Zero Res at 801-288-9376 or check them out online at zeroresaltlake.com. This is, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. They've got huge auctions in Meridian. Right on the edge of Boise, they do some really big auctions. Not the storage auctions, but, oh. but sightseeing Oh, auctions. yeah, yeah. Because honestly, you go to one of those storage unit places up in Idaho, and it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't want that. All right, this meth lab goes for $100. I don't understand all these bottles of iodine. Wow. Yeah. You're going deep. I had a girlfriend that was arrested and put in prison for a long time. Um, so Wait a minute. No, you Wait know that's... <laughs> I know it. Uh, my first kiss went to prison for 30 some odd years for it's true. a very large meth lab. <laughs> That's kind of a rough first kiss. This kiss, this kiss, Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. We know our priorities in terms of health and safety, but then factoring those things in, where will we be in May? I mean, will there be an opportunity? And I think beyond the virtue of crowning a champion, what will the, the symbolism be of major league sports starting back up in this country? And I think that's what President Trump wanted to talk to us, to us all about on that call on Saturday. I mean, it wasn't just a pep talk, but I think it was a reminder um, of what the meaning is of sports to Americans, to our culture in particular. That's Adam Silver, NBA commissioner right there. He did an interview. It was on uh, social media last night. Ernie Johnson from TNT talking to him. Uh, it was on, uh, I think, their Twitter account. And if you didn't see it, you've probably seen excerpts or at least summaries or stories written off of it. You know, and I think symbolically, everyone's going to take that their own way, PK. And there are people probably, you know, throwing up in their mouth, oh, sports thinks he's more than he is. There's probably other people who are screaming, right on, exactly, yes. Uh, And I think everybody takes it a little differently. To me, I think the thing that sports coming back means right now is the ability of people to be around each other. The social distancing thing that we keep hearing that's so important, it's also so foreign to the way we lived our lives. So I think if sports comes back, not that it'll all happen the same day, but then restaurants opening isn't that far away. Uh, The places where you go to get your hair cut. That, that can't be that far away. Uh, maybe where you go to pick up your dry cleaning. And those are a lot of people's jobs. It's a return to just a normal routine, which I think is important. For a lot of people, it'll be a return to work. That'll be really important. And I, I don't think we're going to be seeing sports 
that far out of step with all these other activities. So I, I think it will mean a lot. And, you know, and it may be a piecemeal, piece-by-piece deal, and maybe we are going to see a lot of sports without fans, whether it's the U.S. Open, NBA playoffs, or Major League Baseball. But the more that we inch back towards it, I think the more it means good things for all these other things, whether it's eating a meal together or getting your hair cut or whatever. Well, the only thing I would disagree with you, you said if we get sports back. It's not going to be if, it's well, going to be when. Win. You're right. Yes, that's true. Because it's when, coming back. Go ahead. When I say if, I'm thinking I was implying this in my own mind, which I didn't say. Uh, 2020. I, I, I can't possibly predict what's going to happen in 2021. I, I don't want to really try to predict what's going to happen in 2020. So in my mind, 2021 is way off the table. And maybe that is when it happens for sports. You're right. Sports will come back. You know, it's the, the British Open went away for, I think, five years or something like that, maybe, maybe six, uh, during World War II. But it, it came back. You know, it, it will come back. But right now, I'm thinking months, not years. I'm measuring it in weeks and months. Okay, yeah, all right. Um, I, don't, I don't have any particular problem with that. I'm, not, I'm certainly not measuring it in years. It's got to come back. It's an important fabric of our world. And if you deny that it has any importance, you are naive. You're up in the night. I defy anyone to tell us that there isn't a significant amount of importance placed on it. Now, I happen to think there's too much level of importance placed on winning and losing from the fan perspective, not from the coaches and the participants that are involved, because they're you know in a lot of their stakes that's literally their livelihood. So, uh, we had on uh, Aaron Roderick or somebody did I think, and they played a uh, a clip of it. You know, of course he's going to play the best players because he could get fired if they lose games. So for them it certainly matters, and that way it's very important to them. But for the rest of us, it's about fun, and to me. And one of the what I'm hoping that comes from this is that we recognize the level of importance it has, which is very, very high. And if you deny it, you're a fool. And secondly, that we also understand this is such the weird dichotomy because it matters so much, but yet it doesn't count as all at all. You know, you win a good for you. And then two, two days later or a week later, you know, you're, you're back in your regular life. It was fun in the moment. You reveled in it. You jumped up and down. And that was great. But, you know, win or lose from the fan perspective, I don't see where it matters that much. So maybe you can gain a little more perspective. So maybe we can have games now where fans don't feel compelled to go down to the second row and yell some slur at a player. Or how about this? Maybe we can have a situation where there's not fights in the stands over a game. Now, a little bit of, I think sports has to take a little bit of ownership on that because they're willing to sell $9, $10 beers and sell them to the point where people can get in you know, a little bit inebriated, and maybe they're not thinking clearly. So I think sports has to take a little bit of uh, ownership on that because they certainly have no problem making profits off the alcohol that they sell at these games. But maybe, maybe 
the, the people themselves can be more responsible. And so we won't have the downside. Maybe we can clean up the underbelly that is there, and we can have a fan of uh, one team that may be wearing blue and another team that may be wearing red, and they can sit in the same section, in the same row, and not be obnoxious to one another or not be obnoxious to towards the players. So I think a lot of good can come from that. But if we deny the level of importance of it, that seems silly because it is important and it's a great way to have a form of recreation. And I believe it can bring people together. It can bring families together. You've spoken about for years, and we've heard this, I think Billy Crystal did a routine on it, about how he, when he was growing up in his 20s and whatnot, and he moved away, when he would talk to his father, what would they talk about? Yep. Yes, there was a, uh, well, I think there's multiple examples of that in my life, but certainly there was a birthday my dad had probably... 15 years ago, because I think the Padres were pretty good. They had a four-year run where they really were pretty good. And, uh, and it was his birthday, and I called, and we talked, and we probably talked about the Padres for 20 minutes and the Chargers for 20 minutes and the Aztecs for 20 minutes. And I was in the back bedroom, so I didn't bug everybody else and whatever else was going on. And so we have this hour-long phone call. You know, he's living in California, and I'm here. And we have this hour-long phone call, and we hang up, and I come out, and my wife wants to know how his birthday was. I'm like, I'm not really sure. Uh, well, he, did he get the package from us? Uh, he didn't mention it, but he didn't say he didn't. And she said, well, what did you talk about? <laughs> Talk about the Padres, the Chargers, and the Aztecs. He had a pretty good hour. He was happy when he hung up. What do you want? Uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, with, with his dad, um, you know, as I got older and there wasn't as much to talk about, uh, we always went to Aztec games together. And that was one thing we always had in common. We always talked about. And there might be something else going on. I mean, I don't want to say the relationship was that strained. But that was always at the core. We, could all, we always had that to talk about. Oh, I think that quarterback, just a little bit, we saw him play as a backup. He's going to be pretty good because this guy's graduating. And so it was always that kind of thing. And it was uh, my grandpa, my dad, and my three brothers. The five of us went to Aztec games for years, elementary school, junior high, high school, until I moved away. Um, and then you were talking earlier this morning about we love stuff, you know, competition and all its forms. My mom's dad wasn't that big a sports fan at all, but he loved to play card games. And it could be the silliest, most ridiculous card game. He wanted to win. And he didn't, he would let us win when he was teaching us when we were really young. But once we learned, it was all in. And I mean, I'm sitting there in the second grade and I know how to play whatever game it is. If he beat me 10 times in a row, well, I'd better figure it out because he wasn't cutting me any slack. You know, so I think competition, whether it's a card game, it's a football game, it's a basketball game, whatever. It's definitely something that that brings us all together. You know, and that, but I, I think you're being a little Pollyannish. It's going to help us clean up the underbelly. I think the first game back, yes, that's special. You know, you can still see, and I saw it like a week ago, uh, they ran, when they started rerunning games and all that, one of the first things they do was rerun a baseball game in New York after 9-11, right? The first game back was really special. It was really different. But... Then, after a while, people start reverting. And whether that's people yelling stuff or people throwing stuff, or like you said, someone has to run down to the second row, uh, you know, after they've had a couple too many, that stuff's going to keep happening. I don't think this is going to help us end that, you know. In the short run, it will. In the short run, when you first go back, everybody's going to embrace it. But eventually, people slip back into routines and people slip back into who they are doing what they do. <laughs> what a 
downer. <laughs> you believe this guy, Yak? My goodness. I'm yeah. trying to hold yeah, people because to a Yock, higher standard. Yak agrees with me. I don't agree with you on this, actually. You don't agree with who? Uh, you. You don't agree with me? <laughs> no. You're serious. You think this Can is it? Can you believe it? You think we've seen the end of bad fan behavior? Okay, I, we haven't seen the end of it, but I oh, think... Oh, thank you. Then you do agree with me. But it, it can't... No. no. Just let him speak. I think it can be cleaned up. I think PK's right. Yes. I think that this can be a chance for people to step back, realize, okay, yes, I don't need to climb down there, clamber down all those rows, and be like, hey, blankety blank. You don't need to do yeah. that. Clip and say. Right. I agree. You don't need to do it, but people will do it. No. Five years from now, no. and we've got a vaccine, and we're back playing games, somebody's going to do it. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Clip and save. You're never going to eliminate anything. Thank it, you. Like you know, I win. A, no, in your mind, nothing has changed. We get that. <laughs> that Good one. That, you, people talk about racism. Well, you're never going to eliminate racism. It's always going to be there. And so if you think you're going to eliminate racism – you're full of it. It's never going to happen. But what you hope is that people treat people with the respect that they want to okay. be treated as, the golden rule. So what you hope to do is to be able to reduce it. So I realize that we're not going to eliminate everything mm-hmm. that ails us in the sports world, but I really think we can reduce it. And people can understand it is about fun, man. You don't. Go, how many times do you go to a movie and you have a brawl breakout? <laughs> it hardly ever happens because people understand it's there for entertainment. That's my whole push is that people understand sports is entertainment. It's for fun. And you take it for what it's worth. And if you do that, you're likely not to get get upset at the guy sitting behind you. And the guy sitting behind you isn't going to say something obnoxious to get you upset. Okay. This brings up an interesting question. Because I did grow up around my grandparents. Uh, They they all lived in San Diego. And they all were, uh, you know, were alive into my 20s. So I spent a lot of time around them. And so they were, without question, they were fundamentally shaped by the Depression. There was stuff I'd go home from and, and you know, go home and tell my parents, oh, your grandma and grandpa said this or did this or whatever. And the phrase Depression era mentality, man, I heard that more than once. You know, the Depression happened to them when they were 20-ish, and they lived through it in their early adulthood, starting businesses, starting jobs, starting careers and all that. And, and it went on for a decade, pretty much until World War II. And so it shaped them. And I'm curious how much you think this is shaping people right now and how much it is really going to fundamentally alter the way we behave. We'll get to that on the other side. That'll be deep for about five minutes. And then we're going to talk with Ben Anderson, jazz writer, uh, jazz studio analyst. And we'll talk jazz with him and it won't be quite so deep. But I do want to get your thoughts on that because that's basically where you're going. We will get to that next. Stay with us. 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. All right, late in the last segment. Uh, PK was talking about this is a chance to reassess and fans will stop going overboard 
at least in large numbers. It's a chance to uh, reorient and improve fan behavior, which I'm not really buying. In the short run, yes, but in the long run, I think we'll go back to being who we are. Uh, so, but if you're right, then like this is a fundamental realignment. My grandparents were shaped by living through the Depression. Now it went on for a decade, so it had longer to shape them. Uh, you really think that's going to have this big an impact, that this is going to fundamentally shape people's behavior going forward? I see no reason why it can't. Why can't you have the perspective that, for some reason, I think I've had it as since I was a kid. I've enjoyed sports as much as anybody, but I've never gone bonkers over rooting for a team. And I've never gone anything over the top. I've enjoyed it. But when it's over, it's over. I move on. And I move on quickly. I take it for what it's worth. It's fun. Now, I don't get the lows. And maybe I lack, but I also don't get the highs. But I enjoy the level of competition. I enjoy men or and women out there competing in whatever they're competing in. And I appreciate the amount of effort that they put into get themselves in the position to do that. And... That's it. It's fun. It is what, that's exactly what it is. It's competition. And it's like a card game. Well, you know, like you were talking about with your grandfather. A little bit more stakes at, at, on the line for those people involved. You know, you guys just had bragging rights. But for the folks involved, particularly at the professional level, obviously, for them, it's a whole other story. But for the rest of us as fans, which is all I am as a fan, I've said that for years, and just enjoy it. Don't get. There's no reason to get worked up and do something stupid at a sporting event. There just isn't. I can never justify it. Yes, but we can go back and, I mean, there's individual acts, just random acts of, you know, idiot guy with a big mouth or individual people running on field and security guards dragging them down. We've seen it. But there have also been huge group acts. That disco night that went horribly wrong that you can see on YouTube. If you aren't, aren't old enough to remember it, you can see Yach wasn't born when it happened. But, Yach, you've seen that disco night, right, with all the people running around and somebody setting fire to stuff <laughs> behind looked, second base? It looked like a wild was it tiger? Was that's it an extreme. It yeah, was an extreme, an extreme. But the extreme stuff, but there was also random, you know, we all remember. There's been other incidents. Cutting away from fans running onto the field has been going on forever. It was going well, on in the 90s. One, it was going on on the 80s. There not, was one several years ago where, uh, what, like a father and son jumped out and tried to beat up a first base yeah. for the White Sox? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think the leagues and the teams have to take some ownership because they certainly don't have any problems selling alcohol to these, to these people. But hey, if you're intent on doing that, you know, you can uh, – do the stuff before you can, yeah. You can drink out in the parking lot while you're tailgating. Yeah, so, you I mean, I can't really blame them for trying maybe. to make money on that. It's up to the individual to be responsible, and I'm not blaming sports teams for selling it because for for, for and that's the great thing about it, though, is that what 99 percent of the people who go and buy uh, uh, two or th- one or two beers, whatever it might be. I'm not a drinker, so I don't know. Uh, two or three beers, and and you're fine. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the level. Of, uh, we see a beer line. We, your be. point is, we see beer lines at every game, whether you drink or not, and at plenty yeah. of games, we see people behave fine. I mean, it's, right, exactly, and it's so, up to the individual. Right. Then, if you want to have a beer, I'm not saying don't have it, but be responsible about it. Whatever it is that's going to keep you in check, fine. You just use it as a beverage, not something to get 
plastered over and you know i've got no problem with them selling that stuff at the games it's up to the individual to to keep it in check uh but large portions the majority most games go off without a whole lot of stuff and and i appreciate what the people uh, the teams are doing inside the arenas inside the stadiums uh they'll make announcements and then they've got fan behavior and if there's anything out of line you can text a number security will come blah 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 and it's the same thing in concerts it doesn't you know it's, i'm just not appealing to exclusively sporting events here all these things you should be respectful yes and i and we we're missing concerts i've had uh, two or three concerts uh, canceled already more that I attend because I enjoy going to see live music, and I one of the first things I do when I get to a, an arena is look around and say, okay, are there going to be potential problems? And if I notice a potential problem, I try to start a casual conversation with that person so that person would have a form of liking me and maybe not be ridiculous and ruin it for the people around you. We've all seen that. That's happened all the time. That. that not, not all the time, but it happens where you've gone to a fill-in-the-blank event and somebody around you ruins it. I'm here to say, keep your sports in perspective, view them as entertainment, and don't ruin it. Don't be a jerk. Yeah, I think good can come from this, man. And I think it could be long-lasting. I'm, I'm Pollyannish now. A guy from the <laughs> East Coast is Pollyannish. What is, that, that's like calling me un-American. <laughs> well, you know, you moved out of New Jersey decades You're ago. You're going to call me Polly, Pete, DJ and off. Polly. <laughs> yeah. Polly Kennehan. All right, DJ BK, when we come back, I will always remember Polly Kinahan. That's changed. I will not forget that, Yach. You won't have to remind me. David James, Polly Kinahan, it's DJ and PK with Ben Anderson, Utah Jazz writer for KSLSports.com, Utah Jazz radio studio analyst. He joins us next. Stay with us.